Well, if you'd like to keep your Bibles open, uh, and actually we're going to have a look at John chapter 12, verses 1 to 17, um, but first let's just pray. Father, I pray that you will help us to understand your glorious word. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to, to love you. I pray that you will help us to understand your word today. And may you bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the sweetest smell you have ever had to experience? Have a think about it. Well, according to Google, the schmuck perfume is the world's most expensive perfume. Uh, and it's costing, are you ready for it? A whopping $1.29 million US dollars. Okay? And according to the website, the scent is unforgettable, hopefully in a good way. Uh, but with all perfumes, the purpose of perfume is that they are to draw the attention uh, to someone. And today, hopefully, we are going to be drawn to the attention of Jesus. Our theme is King Jesus, the life giver, anointed for death. And our aim is, or our take home for today, is believe in King Jesus, the life giver, anointed for death. The context is this, that Jesus has done many fragrant uh, signs and wonders to show who he is. He has said many big statements to tell people who he is, seven of which are the great I am statements to show he is God. He then does one of those greatest signs and wonders, which we looked at, uh, well, just earlier with the raising of Lazarus. The result is that many Jews believed in Jesus in chapter 11, verse 45. And the chief priests and the Pharisees plot to arrest him. If you look at verse 57, Jesus then goes into hiding because many are seeking his arrest. And he then goes to a town called Ephraim near the wilderness in verse 54. Four. So we have two points for today. Point one, Jesus is the life giver. Point two, Jesus is anointed for death. So let's just read uh, chapter 12 and verses 1 to, uh, to 17. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where G Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of exp expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, 
many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosea, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So our first point, Jesus the life giver, verses 1 to 3. We see here that John tells us in verse 1, if you look with me, that it's six days before the Passover. Did you see it? And Jesus therefore heads towards Jerusalem where many Jews were headed uh, to purify themselves as was custom. Uh, And because Jesus was Jewish, he would have participated in all aspects of the Jewish traditions. Well, Passover, if we remember, was a time to remember that God was the life giver in Exodus chapter 12. So when you go home today, have a look at Exodus chapter 12 and you can have a look uh, at that. And in Exodus, the people of Israel are oppressed by a sinful king and God comes in judgment to set his people free. But people needed to put their trust in God's word by getting a perfect sacrificial lamb without blemish, it had to be as pure as it could be, and prepare it in faith that God would save them from a sinful world in Egypt. And so showing he is the life giver. Jesus, therefore, comes to Bethany before he goes to Jerusalem in preparation for this time of remembrance. But in contrast to him who didn't need to be prepared because he is perfect and without sin. Jesus is perfect and without sin. We have here the opposite. We have the holy leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees who should have had in their mind about Passover. They should have been preparing themselves. But rather with sinful, unpurified hearts, gave orders for Jesus' arrest in chapter 11, verse 57. But why do they want to arrest Jesus? What has rustled their tassels? The answer is that Jesus is the life giver. Who is he? Jesus is the life giver. And please, we've turned to chapter 11, verse 38 and 51. And we can see what has rustled their tassels or have their tassels in a twist. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then what happens? Jesus then, in verse 43 to 44, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died 
came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And then many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Can you, we see why the chief of priests and the Pharisees are in a state? Jesus has done the impossible. He has risen someone from the dead to life by the word of his mouth. And this reveals who Jesus is, that he is who he said he was. Do you remember what he said? If you've read John chapter 11, verse 25, he said to Martha, Lazarus's sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is the life giver because he is God the Son, showed physically, confirming what he said about himself was true by rising Lazarus from the dead. And this is why in chapter 12, verse 1, John draws our attention, who's the writer, draws our attention to Lazarus. How can we see this? John says, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. John again draws our attention to Jesus being the life giver during the time of the Passover. Where the remembrances of God being the life giver to the Jewish nation. And John, we know, writes about signs because he desires people to believe in the life giver. As he writes in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. This, these two uh, verses, are the overall big idea of the passage of John. So keep that in your mind when you look at John ever. says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not death, life. Isn't that what signs are for? They point out various things. For example, signs saying this way or that way. Or maybe... You go through a dirt trail and you see those little triangle things on those posts and you hope no one's turned it to another wrong direction. Well, those are signs as well. But also food, food. there's food signs as well. Like, for example, having tackle vans with a big sign that says, tackle's here, get it, in bright lights, shining at you. Um, but how about warning signs? There are lots of warning signs, isn't there? Beachy Head has a warning sign, I believe. Don't head towards the cliff. Don't go there. Um, but you see, Jesus made signs also to warn people to show them who he was. That he was the almighty God. So come to see him because he is the life giver. Do you see the theme? And this is a sign And this sign is not just for them then, but guess what? For us now, it's relevant for now. As we see, Lazarus is a sign pointing towards 
the life-giving Jesus. And how does John emphasise this? We see a dinner party. Everyone loves a dinner party, don't they? Perhaps not. Don't know. But we see a dinner party given to Jesus. And let's read uh, verse 2, the second half of 2b. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. What we see is Lazarus is no ghost, fortunately, but rather eating and drinking with Jesus by his side. And people are gathered in the house. Can you imagine that in your minds? The place is buzzing and the sweet smell of the food. But more importantly, the sweet smell of victory is in the air. The sweet smell of victory of death, over death, being squashed a while ago, which is wonderful news, isn't it? Nobody likes to die, do they? We don't like death. Nobody else, though, in history has been able to raise people from the dead. Only God alone. And this scent is a beautiful scent of God's sweet salvation aroma. Even doctors cannot raise the dead. If you've watched any medical programmes, I quite like medical programmes. Maybe some of you like Dr House. Anyone seen Dr House? Who has patients come in to see him with all sorts of illnesses and he and his team try to work out what's going on. And then all of a sudden you hear the shout, code blue, or code red, I don't know what the code is, but it's some code. And the doctors rush in and try and revive the patient. But what you don't see in the series is a doctor calmly walking in to see the patient who's about to die. And he doesn't shout out, arise! And the patient rises from the dead, do we? We don't. Why? Because they are not God. They cannot be. Only God can raise the dead to life. And Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was showing he is Indeed, God, he is the life giver and has power over death to give life. And this is good news, isn't it? Not just for Lazarus, who is the foreshadow of God's ultimate plan of the life-giving message of Jesus, the saviour, over sin and death, but for us who believe. Did you know, if you believe in Jesus, you could have life eternal? We just need to ask Lord, we need to turn to him. We need to turn away from our sins and turn to the living saviour. And this is the good news for anyone who has died as well. Maybe you've had people who, had, who were believers in Jesus and they died very sadly, very tragically. But you know what? The hope of, of a believer, someone who's died as a believer, is that they will be resurrected again on the last day. What great hope. To see them. Maybe you've lost loved ones in that way. Who were believers. Who loved Jesus. Because there is hope in Jesus. Because he is the life giver. And how can we be confident in this great hope? With full assurance. Because what he said 
came true. He said, he is the resurrection and the life. And the proof is in the tasting. Yeah? So we have the pudding at the table in front of us as Lazarus. As the life giver is seen with his proof next to him of life and smell of victory is more glorious than the schmuck perfume that costs, remember, 1.29 million US dollars. For those who taste the sign reveals that the Lord is good. One person who tasted the goodness of Jesus was the life giver, was Mary, Lazarus's sister, who Jesus was deeply moved to tears by in chapter 11, verse 33. Do you remember? She wept for her brother's life as she fell on her knees to her saviour. But now we see her falling to her knees again. But this time she falls to her knees before Jesus, the life giver, in thanksgiving and praise. Look with me at verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Can you see her thankful heart? Mary bows low to the ground, down to her life-giving king. She is bound like a servant who washes dirty feet with all humility, kindness and the love and a cup of thankfulness pouring over from her heart. Can you smell the fragrance of her love for Jesus, the life giver? And are we challenged about our own hearts? Because if we really breathe in deeply the scent of what Jesus did for Lazarus, then we should also bow down our knees in adoration to Jesus, who brings hope in the face of death. Mary believed in him, and the evidence of this is the fruit of the sweet scent that we can smell here in verse 3. She doesn't just pick up any old scent laying around. No, that would be careless. Oh no, she spares no expense when it comes to Jesus. And look with me what she does with the the perfume in verse 3. She pours it on Jesus' feet as the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume, then wipes his feet with her hair. The woman's scent is a nose-turner. Like when we have stood at the bus stop. Do you know what I mean? Anyone catch the bus these days? What happens? You're standing or sitting at the bus stop and then someone goes across your path who's got really heavy perfume on or fragrance. And what happens? You don't just sort of go, okay, that was very nice. Your head turns, right? Your head turns in the direction of the person who sent that was. And for this, where is the focus drawn to in this instance? Not to Mary, but to Jesus. If we could ask Mary a question, who we should look to, she would tell us, look to the life giver. Look to the life giver. Don't look to anyone else. Don't look to me as as a minister. Don't look to Kevin, but look to Jesus. 
Look to Jesus. Because he is the life giver. Because, look, what he's done in my family's life. Look what he's done in my life. And this we can say about our own lives, how God has worked to give us life in his name if we believed in Jesus. And we can give testimonies of how that's happened, all of us, if we've trusted in Jesus. Well, the people in the house, their noses certainly turned when she poured that ointment on Jesus' feet. What a spectacle to be seen. What a signpost that points to Jesus. Because not only does Lazarus point towards Jesus as the life giver as a physical testimony, but Mary also is a sign pointing to Jesus in her thanksgiving towards him. We can see a woman who is not ashamed of Jesus, whose focus is only on the Saviour. This woman is a great example of what a truly godly woman is. She doesn't just turn to anything else. She's not distracted with anything in the room. She isn't on her Facebook. She's not on her Twitter page. She's not on her mobile phone. She's not distracted by all the other people talking around her. She looks to Jesus. Her faith inside her is seen from her outward work of faith as she is being given life. And this is a scent even on its own. But not everyone has smelt the sweet perfume of the life giver and has missed the sign. You know there are people who have missed the sign. We know that from our own families who haven't trusted Jesus. Who you share with, share the gospel with, and they still miss the sign. But we need to pray for them, don't we? Pray that they will come to know Jesus as the Lord and Saviour for their good. And for the glory of Jesus. But rather here, there is a mix of the smell of death in the the air. As Jesus is anointed for death, verse 4 to 11. What comes to our attention is Judas Iscariot. We are told that Judas is the one... Of Jesus' disciples. Did you notice the language change from something good smelling to something negative with the word but in verse 4? Let me reread verse 3 and to 4. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him. Let me repeat again what I said before in verse 4. So we can really smell it in Jesus. Judas is meant to be who? He's meant to be Jesus' disciple. One of his closest followers. Spends time with Jesus. Who is meant to love Jesus and care for Jesus because generally you don't follow someone you you don't like, do you? It's just not right, is it? Or dislike. But Judas, we are told, is about to betray him. What a contrast between Mary, who bowed her head to her saviour, and this so-called friend who is such a stench. And Jesus knows Judas will betray him because in chapter 13... 
Jesus says to the disciples, one of you will betray me in verse 21. You can again go away and read that because it's an interesting read. Because he is God the Son. He knows everything. And there is nothing that cannot be hidden from God. God knows all things. And so he doesn't just know who is going to betray him, but he knows what is going to happen to him. Judas is going to betray Jesus. And so preparing Jesus for his death. Everyone else doesn't know, but we do. We've got the privilege of of reading the account for ourselves because we read it. But do we just read it like we've read it before? Or does this shock us? Because it should shock us that someone who was meant to be the closest friend to Jesus betrays Jesus. It should shock us. But the scent Judas is wearing is the scent of sinner's death. The sinister thing, let me tell you about the scent of sinner's death, is that it may smell nice, but it's con- in its contents is death. We can smell it in verse 5 to 6 as Judas says this. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. That sounds good, right? Smells good, what he's spraying. Given to the poor. It's good to give to the poor, isn't it? Well, in this instance, wrong. In this instance, John's comment tells us what, what's in the scent that clings to Judas. His heart is not in the floral charity business, is it? Verse 6, John writes, He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas had the scent of sinner's death written on the label of the bottle. He had this in his top pocket, where his heart was. And written on the label of Judas' ascent are written the words, love of money, a thief, and a human trafficker, in verse 6. How disgusting a whiff this should be for us. That he would betray his friend to death by participating in sin. And this is a challenge for us. In the church, not just here in Halling, but in my church back in Thornton Heath. Because we who are here come Sunday by Sunday. But what what scent are we wearing? Are we anointing Jesus for death? Because of our sin that clings to us? Are we betrayers of Jesus, pretending to love Jesus by turning up? Oh yes, I love Jesus. On a Sunday... But what about Monday down to Saturday? Are we betrayers of Jesus, pretending to love Jesus, but yet put our hands into the, onto the perfume of sin? If this is the case, and I speak to myself, 
Cast the bottle away. Throw it away. Smash it on the floor. Cast it off. Allow God to deal with your hearts and my heart. And bathe. Anyone like a bath? Bathe in the scent of Jesus, the life giver. Which is, guess what? It's free. You don't have to pay for it. Yeah? It's free. Which means being Christ-like. By living as a holy and acceptable people to God. And not like the world, as Paul writes in Romans 12, which Mary shows what that looks like, doesn't she? Judas, though, did not pick up Jesus' scent as the saviour, but rather was the reason for Jesus anointed for death. Where do we see this? In verse 5, look with me, where he takes a swipe at, at Mary with death on his breath. He says, verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Judas had a disregard for Mary's anointing of Jesus. But Jesus defends his true people who loves him. Isn't that glorious? That Jesus defends us when we love him. Look here with me. Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus defended her like a good king does for his faithful people. As Mary, who was anointing him for his death, was being attacked by the enemy of God. Jesus knew Judas's heart, but he also knew that he had to die. We know Jesus is going to die because we read earlier that it was prophesied by Caiaphas that Jesus would die for the nation. If you're lacking faith in who Jesus is, look at the signs of who Jesus is. The prophecies that, that tell who Jesus is. The evidence, the thousands of years that which told of Jesus' birth even. And even the way that he was going to die. But here we see Jesus acknowledging to people in the room that he is being anointed for his burial. Mary didn't know that, though, her thanksgiving offering or anointing, that it would be a prophetic sign that Jesus was going to die. It's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus is anointed for death. Why? Because of people like Judas. Sinners who need saving from death if they repent and bow to King Jesus so that they could enter into his kingdom as friends and not enemies of the kingdom of heaven. The sad thing is Judas did not repent. But rather, Judas was an enemy of Jesus. But you know what's humbling? Is Jesus gave every opportunity to Judas to repent. Recently, I did a Bible study on Judas, sorry, on Jonah. JJ, okay. Jonah, he wasn't obedient to what God's word said for him to go and proclaim to his enemies of, so that they could repent. God gives people time to repent. He gave Nineveh 
time to repent. He could have went, right, Nineveh, you're going to die. I'm not going to send Jonah. Couldn't he? But he didn't. He gave time. And so we see this with Judas. He gives time. Because Judas lives beyond chapter 12. Yeah? We can see this in verse 8. As Jesus says, take your eyes off the money. Because it's always there, but something worth more, which is with which is me, will not always be here for you. Jesus is saying to Judas, you're looking in the wrong place. And Jesus is compassionate with Judas. Judas didn't die there and then. Also, Jesus washed Judas's feet in chapter 13, but Judas carried out the desires of his sinful heart. As we can read in chapter 13, verse, John chapter 13, verse 26 and 30, Judas goes out into the night to betray Jesus. So Jesus is anointed for death, that is certain. And the reason why we need to know this is Jesus is anointed for death for sinners like us. You know your hearts. You know what's going on in your lives. You can see the state of the world around us. But sin is very evident. If you look in the newspapers of all the bad things that are happening. And we know our own hearts, don't we? But Judas goes out into the night to betray Jesus. So Jesus' death is certain. We know... Jesus is anointed for death, for sinners like us, but we must take the warning of Judas' example and repent. But where else does John continue to show us the sinful hearts of men? Verses 9 to 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. John again shows us Lazarus and the people desiring to come and see the risen Lazarus. But notice verse 10 to 11. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death because Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Can you see the progression or the digression of the sinful Pharisees' hearts? In John 11 verse 57, they want to only arrest Jesus. Then if we go to chapter 12, verse 10, the plan is now to put Jesus, sorry, Lazarus, who is the proof of the resurrection power of Jesus, and even Jesus himself, to death. They want to cancel him. You know, in society we have this cancel culture. Well, it's not just now. They want to cancel Jesus, right? So again, Jesus is anointed for death because of the hardness of heart of men. Can you imagine how terrible thought that those who were meant to love him because he was their Messiah hated him so much that they were going and willing to put him to death? And not just him, but Lazarus, the proof that he is the saviour. That's what John said would happen back in chapter one of John. John chapter one, verse nine to 13 says this. The true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He, that's Jesus, was in the world 
and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God the Son, the creator of the universe, was not received, but was rejected by some of his own people. And this is the reason why Jesus is anointed for death, because the world rejects God naturally and does not desire to love God. Nobody loves to follow God, not truly, not the living God. So God the Son came to earth and did signs about who he was so that some would see the signs, some would believe and be saved. And we can be encouraged as we read this, that people were saved in huge numbers, so much so that the religious leaders were shaking in their robes. Because the next thing that happens in Jesus is Jesus enters Jerusalem. People shout out, Jesus is the king of the Jews in chapter 12 and 13. And then we have again the testimonial sign of Lazarus's resurrection. And with this statement, look, the world has gone after him. Jesus is anointed for death. Yes, but he is anointed as king as people see him and believe in him. Do we see Jesus as our anointed king who was put to death for our sins so that we could be saved? If we do not, if we do not, look at the signs. Reread the account of John slowly, carefully. Ask the Lord to help you see this. Read the eyewitness accounts of John. And let us pray for understanding and for our eyes to be open to who Jesus is. So to conclude, Jesus caused a climactic event where he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus would be a massive sign to the proof that he said who he was, which was the, la- the resurrection and the life. Many people believed, but those who were meant to have believed, despised and rejected him and tried to arrest him during the time where they should have been rejoicing and remembering of God, giving life to the people of Israel during Passover. But it hasn't been all doom and gloom, has it? As we see Lazarus resurrected and Mary in thankfulness gives glory to God the son and exercises her faith in her Lord and Master, a humble servant, bowed before the Saviour of the world, pouring that expensive ointment mm-hmm. on Jesus. Get lost, schmuck. Mm-hmm. She exercises her faith. She bows as a humble servant. She shows her faith as she lavishes that ointment on King Jesus. And as she does this, We see what? We see her heart. We see her life. And we also see the sinfulness of Judas as a warning, the betrayer. His scent is a real scent. And we should take that warning that sinner's death scent is very real. Jesus, though, is going to die. And he had to die. 
We soar because of people like us who are lost in our sin. But so we could believe in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus had to die so that the power of sin could be crushed, but so that Jesus could rise, proving the resurrection power for people to believe, to be saved, to become resurrected people ourselves. So we've got five things to take away. You, can, you don't have to remember all five, but maybe just take one away with you and put it in your pocket, but keep it with you. Number one, see and believe in the signs of the resurrected life giver with great hope. Number two, be careful and examine our hearts to see if we have sins that are in the way, like a blockade, of our relationship with Jesus. Number three, if we see that, confess. Confess our sins to Jesus, asking him to take away them as far as the east is from the west and repent and change and walk away from those sins. Number four, be encouraged that Jesus' death brings hope, brings hope. Number five, as we see the testimony here written, Let's be encouraged to share this testimony with others that we meet without fear, but go as scented people of the gospel. Let us go and share, because guess what? It's free. Amen. Amen.